Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Ever wondered how a book gets made into a movie? Or how to master the art of cooking? Either way, we've got you covered with the Two Guys from Hollywood podcast. I'm Alan Nevins, a literary agent and talent manager. And I'm Joey Santos, a columnist and celebrity chef. On our podcast, we're going to be serving you a fresh perspective of the entertainment industry alongside our favorite celebrity guests. As we like to say, we don't dish, we serve. Listen and follow Two Guys from Hollywood on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll talk at you soon. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sports Grid Fantasy Football Podcast. My name is Davis Maddock. I'm joined today by Mike Clay at Mike Clay NFL on Twitter. Uh, I've never had Mike on the show before, so very excited to chat with him. Mike, how are you doing today, man? I'm uh, pretty good. I'm not sure if I should be offended or honored that it's my first time on the show. So uh, and anyway, I do appreciate the invite. <laughs> well, thank I'm you assuming, very much. I'm assuming yeah, you had a few cancellations and I'm a, I'm a last minute villain, something like that. Oh, no, never. No, I've actually, I've actually been meaning to ask you for a while. And now that we are getting close to an NFL season that seems like they're just going to Seems like it's just going to happen. They are going to find a way to to have football played this year. So I thought, um, you know, some great things to talk about with you would be some of the hardest to project situations because that is, that's your specialty is working out uh, NFL projections. So I, I wanted to start with the Chiefs backfield because you do something interesting with your projections where you are able to kind of split things out by week and we talked about this on Twitter you know right after Clyde Edwards Hilaire got drafted where you had Damian projected as the lead back for about the first month and then move Clyde Edwards Hilaire into that role is that am I am I remembering that correctly yeah out of the gate I did I just kind of went that direction because sometimes you have to hedge right out of the gate until you get more information right. so I do feel a little bit more comfortable with Edwards Hilaire now um, but I mean it's it's a tough call, and as we'll get into here, there's probably not as much volume in this Chiefs offense, I think, as people realize. Yeah, um, because they – well, first of all, you know, they are so pass-heavy, so the amount of the amount of rushing work, but also, you know, that, that blistering efficiency actually limits the total amount of plays allowed as well, which is something that, uh, you know, people don't always tend to think of. Yeah, exactly. They're a super pass-heavy offense, especially last season, and that just doesn't allow a lot of rushing volume. I mean, if you look at it, it's kind of interesting. I mean, I don't know if we fully, you know, acknowledge just how touchdown-dependent uh, running backs are in Reed's offense. I mean, if you look right. back at uh, his history since he joined the Chiefs, running backs in his offense are 31st in carries. 31st in carries out of 32 teams, 23rd in yards. 17th in targets so not even you, you you imagine his running backs doing so much damage as pass catchers but they're not even top 12 in receptions or targets but uh you know it's it's all about touchdowns they're fourth in rushing touchdowns they're first in receiving touchdowns and that that's allowed them uh the six most fantasy points so you know just consistently year after year you don't see the volume even last year i mean chiefs running backs were 23rd in touches he has no top 20s in that department since 2013. I mean, even last year, you think about Damian Williams when he was healthy, and even LaShawn McCoy for a few weeks there had some fantasy relevance. But, you know, as a whole, that unit was 16th in fantasy points. So just, you know, this offense is so good. But if they do end up splitting this workload, especially early on, I think I think people are going to be disappointed. And even though I've boosted Edwards Hilaire up, you know, up to kind of the lead back here, Right. Uh, I, he, his round two ADP is too rich for me. And even Damian Williams, he's still going in the sixth round. That's way too early for me. So I, I don't know. I haven't seen myself getting too many shares. And that's coming from someone who had Edward Solaris as top back before the draft. I really like this kid. But, the you know, it's all about ADP. We, you know, we, we don't love or hate the players. It's all about the ADP. And right now, his is too rich. Um, so I do like... Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, and I do like Damian. Uh, I wish they were both a little bit less expensive, right? I wish you could get Edwards-Hilaire in the third. I wish you could get Damian in the eighth, but that is a little bit more of a 
that's that's kind of more of an artistic decision as opposed to following you know exactly what uh, what are in my projections because my projections are are not nearly as as high on them and and to your point you know people remember that uh, that amazing Kareem Hunt season with Kansas City and Mahomes before he got uh, before he got cut but he had you know more than two receptions in only half of his games he had two games with zero receptions three games with only one reception now he scored 14 touchdowns in those 11 games so obviously his fantasy owners were happy with him but if Damian and Clyde Edwards Hilaire are splitting those touchdowns and not getting that heavy reception work I I mean it's very likely that owners of both of those players ends up end up being disappointed yeah, no question about it. And that's kind of the problem I have here, right? There's only so much volume and touchdown and, and, and production to go to this unit. So if I, I – like I have Edward Solaire at 188 carries right now and 43 catches. So if you're taking him in round two, you're going to hear that and say, uh, you know, even with 10 touchdowns, that's that's not great. You know, I, I'd like to get more on my second-round pick. But that only leaves 72 – what, what? I have nine, 98 touches for Damian Williams. And he comes in at RB51. And then you have, a, a, you know, a few scraps to cover for injuries like you know, Andre Washington, Darwin Thompson, Darrell Williams, guys like that. But that's just a handful. So there's just where, – where are the touches? They, and, and, you know, you might say, well, maybe they'll get more touches. But history of a read offense is that's not going to be the case, right? They're going to get the ball to Kelsey and Tyree Kill, and then you have the secondary wide receivers will, will get some. Not to mention, by the way, that Reed's offenses don't run many plays. They're highly efficient, but they don't run a lot of plays either. So uh, it's just a, a lot of things that kind of – tell us and this is again why I like to do projections is because you see these things on the wall that tell you it's going to be hard for people you know for these players to match up with expectations yeah well and and while we are talking about the Chiefs um what is your what is your current position on McCole Hardman you know he's kind of one of those lightning rod guys that depending on how you project playing time between him and Sammy Watkins you know either Hardman seems like a value because of the efficiency you can project on him or you know he's a clear overdraft because he's just never going to get the volume to justify where he's going well I'll tell you what I've been way off of Hardman for the most part this offseason just because though I do see the upside he's a second round talent there's pedigree there's breakout upside if he wins that two job but you know, the more and more work you do on this offense, you realize the secondary receivers also have a hard time succeeding. And, and you know, they, they brought back Sammy Watkins. I don't think you do that and pay him that much if he's not going to play at all. So uh, Hardman does have an uphill battle. So for an eighth-round pick with as deep as that position is right now, not to mention that if you follow kind of the script a lot of people have gone with, with get the running back early, then attack wide receiver for a while, maybe you sneak a tight end in there. You know, around that time, you're usually looking at the stable of, of – essentially zero running back candidates, which we'll, I know we're going to talk about later on. And maybe you don't want to pull the trigger on on yet another receiver. You might not want to start early in the season at that point. Now, that said, he's going in the eighth round over the past week. I just did a uh, the FSGA draft, our big uh, annual draft that we have with 14 teams. And I almost spit out my drink in the 10th round when I noticed he was still sitting there. So in a 14-teamer in round 10, I thought that was a, a really good value. So it, it really all depends where he's falling in your drafts. If you can get him uh, late like that, he's worth it for the upside because you already filled out your starting line. If you can put him on your bench early on and then hope, uh, you know, hope that he becomes a value at some point during the season. But in the eighth round of 12 teamers, I, it's, a, it's a little rich for me. Yeah, I mean, and you know, he is kind of one of those classic. You'd rather you'd rather have him in best ball than in redraft, yeah. where you actually have to to choose to start him. I mean, people definitely say that far too often. He's actually one of those guys that I um that I think that it is probably true. Uh, okay, another situation that is giving a lot of people fits is the the Green Bay Packers run pass splits because. They, they basically said this whole offseason, you know, we want to become more run heavy. They draft A.J. Dillon. They draft uh, Josiah Daguerre. They don't really address their wide receiver issues, you know, pretty much uh, at all. You know, they, they didn't, they didn't uh, they, I guess they added Devin Funches to that position. So are you kind of regressing them more as a, a run heavy team now? Uh, more so than we're used to from an Aaron Rodgers offense. I mean, they've been one of the past, uh, the past heaviest offenses in the league during the Rodgers slash Mike McCarthy era. Uh, and kind of on a side note, it's going to be intriguing to see if McCarthy throws the ball a ton in Dallas, right? We haven't seen them be a pass heavy offense since the 
the Jason Garrett play calling years, which was quite a while ago. So that's going to be interesting. But anyway, um, I do think that LaFleur is going to try to balance out, if not run the ball more. But here's the thing. Last year, you know, they won a lot of football games and they were probably fortunate to be ahead as, as often as they were. Uh, they definitely had a, a misleading win-loss record, and we see that each and every year. And those teams almost always regress a little bit or a lot of it in, in a lot of cases. So uh, that those two things could offset, right? They may want to run the ball more, but they're going to be more competitive. They're going to be behind right. more often, and they're going to have to throw the ball in the second half more often than they did last season. So I think those things, things will kind of offset. When all is said and done, I have them projected – at a uh, 61% pass rate. And uh, so I, you know, it's kind of league average, basically. They're gonna be right around league average, maybe a tiny bit below. That's how I have it kind of projected out. Yeah, that is that is right where I have them. But, you know, there are, there are a couple other interesting quirks with projecting them. So first is, you know, projecting the efficiency for that offense, you know, yards per play, yards per pass attempt and stuff. Uh, and I've, I've moved that back more towards league average, you know, as Aaron Rodgers has struggled to, you know, be efficient with his passes and, you know, really targets Devontae Adams a lot. But for fantasy football purposes, what's more important is, you know, who is second in line for targets there? Is it, uh, is it Alan Lazard? Is it Devin Funchess? You know, are they, are they going to turn Jay Sternberger into a full-time starter? How are, how are you aligning that right now? Yeah, it's funny. Uh, there's a lot of Jay Sternberger hype, and I feel like... A lot, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, it's interesting because I feel like a lot of people were anti-Jimmy Graham when he went there because, hey, Aaron Rodgers doesn't use a tight end, but now Jace is the new... You know how we love, you know, young guys and breakout yeah. players? So now everyone's on Jay Sternberger for some reason. I, I'm not I'm not there. Like, uh, I'm happy to stash him in Dynasty, and I think he's an interesting prospect, but he's 25th in my projections. I mean, do we think this is going to be a balanced offense, or they're going to run it more and then you think about Rogers's history with the tight end position I, I you know I have a hard time finding a, a generous projection for him so I'm right around 40 catches 430 yards three touchdowns for him I'm fine with that I mean obviously like everyone else I'm no different I love Devontae Adams top two wide receiver I saw Thomas ahead by the way I'm not jumping in the Adams as the, the number yeah, one yeah same yeah I, I think that's a, a little over the top but anyway I do have him at two after that I'll take a late stab on a Funchess, maybe a Lazard. I, you know, Lazard, I've, I found that when he's coming off the board, I'm not interested yet. So I haven't really got much of him uh, in round 14. But I have him and Funchess basically grouped together. And Funchess is going undrafted or in the, you know, the 20th round of best ball. So I'm fine with either guy. But I'll tell you what, really, from this offense, I, the guy I've gotten the most is Aaron Jones, right? I, you know, again, we're all about that next big thing. And right. I feel like we're forgetting about him a little bit. You know, he's still going to play a huge role as a pass catcher. Again, we're talking about how they want to run the ball more. He's been super efficient. He's going to get uh, plenty of uh, touchdown opportunities. He had a ton of them last year, even if he was over his head. And suddenly he's going in round two behind guys like Kenyon Drake and Nick Chubb, who has Kareem Hunt there and Joe Mixon and Miles Sanders. I have Jones ahead of all of those guys, so I'm still uh, very happy to get him in round two. Yeah, I mean, if they play Jones in a very similar way to the way they played him last year, where he gets used as a pass catcher and A.J. Dillon doesn't, you know, infringe on a ton of that goal line work, I think it's pretty easy to see, especially if the Packers are being honest about this run-heavy approach, I think it's very easy to see him earning back end of the first round value and he's going to be like he's going to be one of those guys who is present on a ton of league winning teams like we go back and do our analysis after the season and look at win rates and I could see Aaron Jones being like a, a very high win rate player yeah no question about it and it's not like I have him with an enormous touch uh, load here right I mean I, I have him at uh, two, a little over 200 carries and 44 catches and that's still enough with a decent touchdown total to get to RB8. So the guy is just really good at football. He's still only 25 years old. And, uh, you know, by the way, recent history. And again, I, I think maybe we'll get into this at some point a little bit, but uh, day two running backs do not produce as rookies. It's very rare. Like you can pick yeah. up exceptions, right? Occasionally they pop up and have a big season and it's easy to list those guys off. But what about all of the other day two running backs that have done basically nothing? Um, so, you know, AJ Dillon, a round two pick. And, uh, you know, I believe it's six out of the last 28 uh, round two running backs have been top 28 at the position. Top 28, six out of 28, I believe is the number. So uh, I'm not too worried about Dylan. I think he'll chip in here or there. But 
I'm not worried about a big role unless Jones goes down. So are you lower than the market on Cam Akers? He is, he is one of, of all the day two running backs, you know, um, you know, Jonathan Taylor, DeAndre Swift, Cam Akers is the one day two guy that I am really in on. Um, round five, I'm fine with it. You know, DeAndre yeah. Swift's going in round five. Uh, Jonathan Taylor's going in round three. That's too early for me. But once we get into that round five vicinity, I'm, I'm fine with it. But, and I don't want to spoil something we're going to talk about later with zero running backs, but, um, you know, zero running back options when you get to that later. But there's the other back in that backfield, Daryl right. Henderson, who I want to get into. He's going six rounds after Cam Akers. And as far as I'm concerned, it's a toss-up on who's going to be the lead back. And who's there. going to be the lead back. You know who I like is the value in that backfield. Okay, very, very topical question here. The Cam Newton rushing rate in New England. You know, last year we saw him. They played uh, – he started two games for Carolina before he had to leave with injury. He had one scramble in those two games, and very famously – that uh, that Thursday night game against Tampa Bay, they're there fourth and one, and they call the the swing play for McCaffrey on the goal line to potentially win the game instead of rushing with Cam Newton. But you know, at the same time, he is not going to have played football for you know ten months and and seems to be fully healthy. So how do we how do we project his rushing rate in New England? Uh, you know what, I have it down a bit in terms of designed runs, but I still think he'll be used in that capacity plenty I still think he'll be used as uh you know to, to sneak the ball obviously he usually does that about uh you know eight to ten times a season we'll see a few of those at the goal line and I, I don't think his scrambling is going to drop massively by any means right if he's healthy and ready right. to go he'll, he'll scramble and you might be wondering well did, you know he's near as he near 30 did he stop scrambling and the answer is not really. I mean, early in his career, he definitely scrambled a lot. He was, you know, right around 30, 32% in terms of how often or, or what percentage of his, his carries were scrambles. And that number started to drop in 2015 and reached a career low in, in 2016. But then it really bounced back in 2017 and 2018. In fact, in, in 2018, he was at 27%, which was, you know, closer to where he was earlier in his career. So I haven't seen anything that, that is super alarming. I still, I, again, I have him uh, right around 80 carries, and that assumes 14 starts for him this season. And so I, I still think he'll be among the league leaders in, in rushing production. Maybe not, you know, Josh Allen, maybe maybe not Kyler Murray or Deshaun Watson, maybe a little behind those guys, but I still think that'll be a valuable asset in fantasy. Yeah, that's, um, that's almost exactly what I have him for. I have him for 70 rushing attempts in 14 games, uh, but with, you know, obviously a good share of the touchdowns because we expect that he probably w will, you know, very similar to how they use him in Carolina, get some of, like, his, his touchdown rate per carry should be higher than, you know, the, the average running back. Uh, another another hot-button topic, the target share between Juju Smith-Schuster and Deontay Johnson. You know, some people are – ready to anoint Johnson as, as the better value. I, I have to say throughout my drafts this, this off season, I have taken Smith Schuster in the fourth round a bunch, and I do not feel particularly tempted by Johnson at his current cost, but I, I am very open to being wrong about that because even when Smith Schuster was playing last year, his target share was not what I expected, even with those bad quarterbacks. Yeah, this is one of those rare situations where I've essentially ignored last season, right? I mean, the Steelers were averaging right around one touchdown per game in the second half. It is a miracle that they were even in contention to make the playoffs. It just shows you how good that defense was because that offense was just total throwing. It was, it was atrocious, and I don't know if we could really learn anything from it. I mean, if you look at the target shares from week 12 on, we'll say, uh, yeah, Deontay Johnson was at 30%, which is a huge number, but James Washington was at 24% too. I mean, he was, he was also playing a huge role, not to mention that when Juju came back healthy in that week 17 game, he had a 30% share as well, right? So uh, I don't know if there's a ton to learn. I mean, here's where I am. I, I, at Juju, I have a 22%. That's enough to put him as a in this high-volume, pass-heavy, high-scoring offense with Big Ben back. It's enough to put him in that top 12 conversation. Deontay Johnson, I'm at 18%. And then Washington and Claypool, who there's, you know, there's some debate over who's going to be the three there. I have Washington at 11 and Claypool at nine. So those guys are kind of, you know, 
late late flyers, whoever wins that job could could be a, a sleeper for sure. But Juju, I haven't found myself getting him a lot. Round three is, is fine, I guess. No, no big qualms with that. Uh, obviously, his first two seasons were tremendous. He's still super young. I like the talent a lot. And Deontay, I'm with you. He's a little he's a little rich for me in the seventh of recent drafts. He's 39th on my board. Yeah, it just I I tend to think that last season just has to be a wash for the Steelers. And there there's another player for the Steelers who I mean. James Conner was going in the back end of the first round last year, and they they drafted Anthony McFarland in the fourth round. But as we just discussed, you know, day two running backs tend to not produce that often, not play that often as rookies. And, you know, they tried the Jalen Samuels experiment, which was actually kind of a worry for, for James Conner last year. And he had that one game where they used him as kind of like that wildcat quarterback. And after that, he had a knee injury and really was not productive. And the coaching staff has now talked about Benny Snell as just like a straight up replacement for James Conner. So, you know, I, I could see myself at the end of the year, you know, we get, we get to September 10th or whenever the, the season is supposed to start. And just like two of my biggest needs for, for the season end up being Smith Schuster and James Conner, because, you know, if, if big Ben plays 16 healthy games, I don't think there's an argument for these guys. Like they're going to be huge values. Yeah, no question. I mean, they we know they love 11, so they're going to the receiver is going to be a huge part of this passing game as usual. And if you think back at the past decade uh in in fantasy, I mean, how many teams have had uh three fantasy starters essentially? Let's say three top 36 fantasy receivers in a single season. Well, I don't I don't have the number eight in front of me, but I know the Steelers are near the top of that list. I specifically remember one season where Jericho Cotchery was a top 36 receiver where I believe he had 10 touchdowns when you're late in his career I believe Nate Washington snuck in there one time uh so they've definitely been really really good to that position and the last time we saw Big Ben for a full season uh was uh Randy Feetner's first year as their play caller and they were by far the past heaviest team in the NFL I mean Big Ben right. Big Ben I don't think people realize this the year Patrick Mahomes broke out and won the MVP Big Ben led the NFL in passing yards that year I mean the guy the guy was flinging it all over the place. So uh, there's definitely a lot of value uh, potentially to be had at the receiver position once itself sorts itself out. Uh, and at, at running back, I'm with you. It is a tough call. You know, uh, Connor and I don't feel great drafting Connor. He's almost in that kind of that girly David Johnson, Le'Veon Bell sort of territory for me. Uh, but I'm, I'm fine with one of my last picks throwing a dart at, at, at McFarland. Again, super cheap, right? We're not talking about around three or five. So even though he's a right. – uh, running back or, you know, drafted outside around one. I'm fine with that. And same thing with, with a guy like Benny Snow. So I, I definitely like Connor more than Le'Veon Bell, more than Todd Gurley, more than David Johnson, because I, I don't really have many concerns about his ability to perform actually on the field. And I, I have efficiency concerns about all of those guys. But specifically for Todd Gurley, I have concerns about his passing down role because – the Rams went from, you know, really using him as a, a part of their passing offense to, I, I think he only had 49 targets in 15 games last season. And it seems like something with his knees, you know, his ability to, to move up the field and cut laterally really, you know, it was concerning to the Rams coaches about using him in that, that passing role. So how do you have the, the running back work split in Atlanta between Ido Smith, Brian Hill, and Todd Gurley? You know, do you have Gurley still as uh, a bona fide workhorse? Yeah, I, I essentially do. I just, I'm not really afraid of Ido Smith yet. I need to see more from him. I mean, remember, remember sure. his first year uh, in the league back in 2018, he was a, a fourth-round pick, and he mixed in quite a bit. I think he, he, he played uh, you know, well over 100 touches. But the efficiency there was really bad. I mean, he had the second worst yards per reception for a running back, the fifth worst yards per target. His yards per carry was three and a half. I mean, he, I know we don't want to get too caught up in, in yards per carry, but he was not a super efficient rusher either, obviously, on the small side. So you're not going to get a, a, a ton uh, out of there in terms of expectations. Um, and last year, you know, he, he looked a little bit better last year, but, you know, he 22, what, what, 20, 33 touches last season before he went down with right, injury. Right. So it's hard to take too much away from that. So I, I'll be honest. I mean, that's one of the struggles with Gurley is he's going to a, a, a new team here on a one-year deal. Um, it's a very productive dirt cutter offense here in Atlanta. 
and I just don't really see a competition right here. I'm not really afraid of Smith. You know, you have Wallace in there, Brian Hill. I mean, these guys aren't – they didn't really threaten Devonta Freeman. I don't think they're going to threaten Todd Gurley either out of the gate. But on the other hand, you know, you worry about the terrible efficiency with Gurley, the injury, uh, the recent injury history. He's going to be uh, 26 now, which for a running back is getting up there a little bit. So uh, not to mention that Dirk Cutter's offense kind of flows around the passing game too, which is something else we need to consider here. So uh, I just – I'm doing my best to stay away from Gurley in drafts, uh, but it's not really Edo Smith that's the reason. It's just I'm scared of the Yeah, guy. it's, gir- it's oh, Gurley. Right. Luckily, he's going in round three, so it's easy to pass on him. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So this this is maybe more a little bit of a structural question, but I, I can see a lot of different arguments for projecting the New York Jets in different ways. Obviously, their team-wide efficiency last year was terrible, but there were a couple spots that you could point to you know, Darnold against bad defenses. I think he had four touchdowns against the Raiders and in one other game. And, you know, obviously they had Luke Falk in there and then Darnold played some of those games immediately. Maybe he wasn't quite ready to come back from having mono. He's still super young. So, you know, and, and it's sometimes it is reasonable to project younger players to have better efficiency, you know, in their third or fourth seasons in the league because theoretically they, they should be entering into some kind of, you know, athletic prime, they should be getting a little bit better. Uh, so, and, and also the target tree in New York, you know, Jamison Crowder, um, Brashad Perryman and Denzel Mims are, are all double digit round selections. And one of them certainly could get, you know, 130 targets if, if things happen to break their way. So kind of how are you approaching the New York Jets this year? Yeah, it's not a, it's not an offense I'm too fired up about. I, you know, again, like I'm trying to stay away from Bell. Uh, you know, I, I tweeted something yesterday. I don't know if you saw that uh, that tweet the guy put out, which was like the most shocking uh, uh, stat you've seen in sports, something like that. Well, I don't yeah, know yeah. Oh, yeah. I saw that one. The, the yeah. one that blew my mind the most was the – the Wayne Gretzky one that if he had never scored a goal ever, he'd still lead the NHL in points forever. That, 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 that blew my wow. mind more than any of them. Isn't that crazy? That is, that is ridiculous. And uh, yeah, you look, there's been a lot of good ones too, for sure. It was Pete Burns uh, at Pete Burns ESPN. I think it is. He, he tweeted out, what's your favorite random sports stat that blows your mind? And I went with uh, 11 different NFL players carried the ball inside the opponent's five-yard line at least 12 times last season. Adam Gase's running backs have a total of 11 inside the five over the past three seasons combined. The guy just – his offenses don't score, and he does not run the ball at the goal line. So that worries me about a guy like Le'Veon Bell and, uh, you know, obviously Sam Darnold, who, who you just brought up. He, you know, he's had efficiency issues so far, some, some health issues as well. Doesn't have many much value with his legs. So I definitely have some concerns there because I did like him coming into the league. It's, a, it's obviously a big season for him. But, you know, other than that, though, I'll tell you what. I, I don't think that the pass catchers here are so overpriced that they're, they're bad values. I mean, Gase does right. like oh, the 11 personnel package, right? So he's going to have three receivers on the field a lot. Jamison Crowder is very inexpensive in round eight. I like him a lot. He was wide receiver 26 last year. Uh, you know, Gase's recent history shows a lot of touchdowns for the slot position. And even if Crowder was over his head in that department last year, which he was, he still could easily get into the four to six touchdown range. So I like him. And then Rashad Perriman, Denzel Mims, super cheap. You know, you can get them in, in the later rounds, 12th, 12th round for Perriman, 16th for Mims. And then I do, and again, I'm, I'm foreshadowing a little bit here, but I do like uh, Chris Herndon a little bit as a flyer, and he's going late. So that's kind of the thing here. As much as I don't like the Gates offense, and I'm, I definitely have some concerns about Gates and, and Bell, it, the rest of the, you know, the pass catchers are very inexpensive. So I don't really mind them at, at their ADPs. Yeah, no, I, I don't, uh, I don't, I don't mind them either. I find, I find that Perryman ends up being the one that I like, but I, I like Herndon as well. You know, a guy who just was snake bitten last year that just, there really was, he, he had the suspension and then he was injured and it just, it basically just never happened for him. So that's actually, that's actually a good transition. So we can go to our, our late round tight end group, the guys that, that uh, are, are popular in this conversation, Mike Gesicki, Noah Fant, Tyler Higby, who was all the, all the rage on Twitter uh, two days ago now, TJ Hawkinson, Blake Jarwin, who is the, the Mike Clay favorite out of this group? Yeah, and, and well, here, I'm going to answer this question. Uh, and actually, I have two guys I like a lot. I just mentioned one, but here, here's how I'm going to answer this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to list off 
uh, a stat for you. These are the uh, 10 best yards per target marks by a rookie tight end since 2007. Guys with at least 40 targets, okay? The okay. 10 best since 2007 in yards per target. Mark Andrews, hey, he's pretty good. Rob Gronkowski, well, I'm, I'm told he's good too. Hunter Henry, he's panned out when he's healthy. Fourth on the list, Chris Herndon. That's interesting. Noah Fant is fifth. Then Aaron Hernandez, Zach Ertz, Jordan Reed, Jimmy Graham, George Kittle. I mean, come on. So basically all guys who were fantasy starters or, or elite? Yeah, I mean, pretty much all these guys at one point or another were a, a superstar in fantasy other than, you know, I guess, I guess we can't go there with Henry yet, although he's been a, like a mid-range tight end one. But everyone else has, has had a, a, their, their opportunity to be a superstar in fantasy. So the exceptions there otherwise are guys who haven't really broken out yet. That's Chris Herndon and Noah Fan, who are fourth and fifth. So that is interesting. And I can't wait to see if this, uh, this is a little fluky, which I don't think it is, or if it kind of projects forward. So Herndon and Fan are my answer. Uh, it's not just because of that. Obviously, Fan has first-round pedigree. He looked up far last year. Uh, you know, you have Drew Locke, who showed some flashes a little bit last year. I mean, I'm a little worried about them being a run-first offense, and they, they added some personnel at receiver, but I think he's going to be a featured part of that offense, was tight end 16 as a rookie, and that's very, very good for a rookie tight end. You just don't really see finishes like that. So uh, him and then, of course, Herndon, rookie season efficiency was terrific. He's a, you know, uh, I think he's a, just a, a good player and has an opportunity to see a generous target share in this uh, Jets offense. But again, the concern with Herndon, the, the bad news is it's an Adam Gates offense. The good news is he's going in the 14th round, so you can throw that dart very cheap. So do you agree that well, I guess I guess there are really there are really two different ways to to think of of Tyler Higby. Some people are just totally by that you know, what five game sample from last year where he seemed like he was, you know, maybe one of the, you know, basically maybe one of the best tight ends in the league, or do you value, you know, that, that five year sample where a four year sample we had before of him being completely replacement level. I, I don't think I have selected him once in a draft thus far, but obviously someone is selecting him for his ADP to be where it is. Yeah, it's interesting. I haven't gotten much either, and that surprises me because I'm, I'm – uh, and, and again, I may be totally wrong on this, but I've kind of rolled my eyes at the anti-Higby attacks on social media that I've seen lately because I'm buying in a little bit. I, I'm buying in. I mean, it wasn't just – it wasn't completely random. Like, I know the schedule was pretty easy for the Rams against tight ends down the stretch, and we, we don't want to ignore that at all, but it's not like his numbers were decent during that stretch. He was by far the number one fantasy tight end. It was every single week he was just putting up production. And the other part of it is that we saw a shift from Sean McVay, right? I mean, he's been at the top of the league in three wide sets since he took over as head coach for the Rams, and that stopped in the second half last season. He was a little – he was still above average, but it was more, uh, you know, evened out. So you could see Higby on the field with uh, Gerald Everett, and if, if that's the case, uh, you know, you're not going to have a, a third wide receiver taking up a generous target there. You're going to see more of them, them t uh, targets go to the tight end position. And I think Tyler Higby has earned his, uh, earned the opportunity to be that go-to tight end. Gerald Everett has not yet. You know, he just has not emerged like they wanted him to. And Higby has. Uh, he certainly had, did in the, in the, uh, down the stretch last season. And by the way, one other thing here, this is the worst the Rams have been a wide receiver in terms of depth since, so, since yeah. they got there. Right. Yes. I, I, yeah. I mean, you have the, the big two right now. You, you were used to having a big three of Woods and Cup. Then it's Reynolds, who played a lot. He, he was playing as much as Cooper Cup, if not more, in those, that final month last season, but just wasn't targeted. You know, his target shares of 10 percent, zero, eight, eight, two. You know, he just wasn't being targeted. And then Van Jefferson's a, a day two rookie, so we don't know what to get out of him. So I, I think Higby is fine to be in the 15 to 17% target share range, which is well below where he was late last season. He was 28% the final five weeks last season. Uh, and, and I think that's enough. It doesn't take a lot to be a top 10 fantasy tight end. I think he gets it done. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it would be, it certainly would be impressive. Uh, maybe, maybe I will, maybe I will revise my stance and, and, and take a, a closer look at it though. One of the reasons why I don't feel incentivized is that I, I really like Mike Gesicki. I think I think there's a pretty clear role there for him. I you know I expect them to be a pass heavy team. You know in a lot of positive passing 
game scripts. And outside of Jonte Parker, you know, I think Gesicki is going to earn, I think it's likely that he can earn a larger, a larger target share than Preston Williams, you know, than any of their running backs, you know, obviously than, than Matt Breida, Jordan Howard, or, or Patrick Laird. So, you know, like I, I think like a 120 target season for Gesicki is totally in the range of outcomes. Interesting. Uh, I'm wondering now, I have a question for you. What are you thinking about uh, Chan Bailey then? Like, I know that they're not going to disregard Gesicki. You know, he's not going to disappear, yeah. but Bailey hates the tight end. I mean, you look at his five seasons with the Jets and Bills as, a, as the play caller, the total, the total in five seasons for his tight ends was 145 catches and 16 touchdowns, a little over 1,500 yards. That's the total for five seasons. So I don't think, like, I don't think Gesicki goes uh, like 2019 OJ Howard here right I don't think it's going to be that bad right I think he could cost him 10 percent or 20 percent of his production so for me I'm nervous I have him at 80 targets and and tight end 17 on my board I'm just that that gate this Gailey offense is not something I want to ignore so I have him for 112 targets uh 715 yards which I I think is Roughly reasonable if you expect that they kind of deploy him like a, you know, a, a, a wide receiver, right? So he plays in the slot a lot. He gets some of those outside slot snaps that the really good tight ends get. And maybe that doesn't happen. You know, they have, they're, they're probably going to carry six wide receivers. You know, maybe Albert Wilson is healthy. Maybe they get more out of Isaiah Ford, you know, maybe. And, and I, it's also probably a little bit of hedge on Preston Williams not being fully recovered from his ACL tear but I, I guess maybe maybe I am being a little bit optimistic in this projection uh, another thing though is with football becoming you know so much more pass heavy and you know more pressure coming on these coaches from analytics departments inside the teams I think there's going to be a little bit less of you know, we just don't really use that position from head coaches and offensive coordinators. Like, I, I think that with all of the the cooks in the kitchen and how offenses are built now, I think specific tendencies like Chan Gailey's become a little bit less important for fantasy football. That could be wrong, but that is kind of my hypothesis. Yeah, and, and you're right. I mean, about half the time he lined up a receiver last year. So you could be totally right. They could just decide to make him a, essentially a wide receiver in this offense. And I wouldn't be crazy by any means, but again, we've been fooled by this before where we're looking at yes. talent. Like I was all in on OJ Howard. So maybe I'm a little, a little uh, stung by that from last year. I thought, look, I know Arians is past, but you know, OJ Howard is in his third year yards per target leader two years in a row. There's no way he's not going to bust out this year. He just seems so safe. And then look what happened. It was a total disaster. So that's what makes me a little bit nervous, but, uh, but I, I hear you. I hear you. I mean, he did average over seven targets a game in the second half last season to Gesicki, and, and there's a lot of pedigree there. Third year, you know, going on 25 years old. There are a lot of things you want to like, but I'm definitely nervous about it. And there's, and again, you know, there's a reason we're talking about this. There's a lot of options in that area of drafts, and I just prefer the other guys. It's really that simple. Fan, Hawkinson, you know, Hayden Hurst. Uh, you know, we have, Gis I have Gesicki and Herndon together, so those guys are pretty close. So just a lot of options in that, in that part of the draft. For sure. All right. My, my favorite topic uh, near, near and dear to my heart, favorite zero RB targets. You know, I think yes. everyone accepts that Tony Pollard is the guy. I think many people accept Chase Edmonds is, you know, likely a very good zero RB target Latavius Murray. If anything happens to, you know, if anything happens to Alvin Kamara, he's, you know, he just is going to be the guy there. They give him pretty much 80% of the work. Uh, you know, you, uh, you should have some good insight on the Eagles organization. Do you think that Boston Scott meets this criteria? Because some people are, uh, Pat Corain from Established to Run, who, who comes on this show, is, is a big Boston Scott guy and has gotten me to take a, a couple closer looks at him and was really used in the passing game last year, even while Miles Sanders was also getting used. So who were some of your favorite zero running back targets and, and is Boston Scott one of them? Yeah, I mean, right now, Scott is in my top 40 running backs, but that's with 126 carries and 30, 31 catches. Uh, I think yeah. if they add a bigger back, he's going to take some of those carries and it's going to knock Scott down a little bit. Now, I do love the talent. Uh, first of all, shout out to PFF, because I don't think anyone mentioned him before them. I mean, they yeah. were they, they kind of found him, and then I dug into him before that draft, and the efficiency was off the charts. So I've been a big fan ever since they kind of put him on the map, if you will, kind of under the radar. So love love Scott's talent. Uh, but again, I think if they bring in a DeFonte Freeman or something like that, that could be pretty costly for Boston Scott's playing time. Keep in mind, both he and Miles Sanders saw a gigantic, 
gigantic boost in targets in that final month last season, but they had no one else to throw to. There was a reason why that was happening, and that, that kind of applies to Dallas Goddard as well. If they have a healthy Deshaun Jackson and Jalen uh, Rager and eventually maybe Alshon Jeffrey, maybe we'll see. Uh, that could be that could be pretty pretty costly for the target shares of guys like, like Goddard and the running back. So uh, keep that in mind. But um, as for other guys, I mean, look, I I would say you you listed some some handcuffs and I love those guys. No question about it. If it's a high ceiling handcuff, I'm all for it. No no question about it. But if I am going zero running back, and I'm just kind of weak at that position, you know, I'm probably going to lean a little harder, at least in the middle rounds, towards guys who. I think could get to a huge role with perhaps without an injury. So one of those guys I mentioned earlier is, is Daryl Henderson, right? I, I think if he came out and in the, after a month of the season, we're like, wow, this guy is really good. He's getting targets out of the backfield. He's has an edge on acres for carries. He's, uh, you know, an emerging star in this league. We shouldn't really be surprised, right? I mean, yeah, wouldn't, a- wouldn't be out of nowhere or anything. Right. I mean, the guy averaged almost nine yards per carry back-to-back seasons in college. I mean, you know, we're not five, nine. I mean, the guy had a ton of support last year. He was way overdrafted in the middle round, you know, what's round six or five last year at times. It was just, it was out of control, the hype for him. And everyone's kind of forgotten about him and moved on to Cam Akers. But uh, I would not be shocked at all if he broke out. So round 11, I'm looking at him. Uh, my favorite player in this draft, and I think, you know, I've had some success uh, I've had plenty of failures, but had some success with with sleeper running backs coming into the league in, in recent history. Jordan Howard, Chris Carson, like guys like that. I loved uh, Kareem Hunt as a player coming in, which, I mean, he, he was a popular name. So, uh, you know, to each his own. But um, Zach Moss is my guy this year, right? I, I love Zach Moss. I think that, uh, you know, I, I just talked down day, day two running backs, but I just love the talent there. And it would not be surprising at all if he emerged as a, a very effective rusher. So I like him in round 10. Uh, Damian Harris is another one I'm looking at to going even deeper into the draft. Yeah, again, it's Bill Belichick. What, would we, anyone be shocked if Damian Harris leads their backfield and touches this season? I, I, you know, I think that uh, he's a really good one as well. Um, the, uh, the secondary Chargers backs, Josh Kelly and, and Justin Jackson, I think are Yeah, those, those guys I think have real – because um, if one of them beats out the other, you know, if, J- if Josh, ja- if Justin Jackson or Josh Kelly beats out the other one and they, that like, there's a, a Melvin Gordon sized role left because yeah. I, it, it seems unlikely that Austin Eckler is going to turn into, you know, all like he becomes like a 300 touch running back. Like, I don't even know if they would want that. Right. Like, I, I think we can say that that's probably not the Chargers plan. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. In fact, I have Eckler as a top 10 fantasy back in PPR, but I put him with only 162 carries and 64 catches, right? So I'm scaling him back from last year, but that's still enough to be a, a star in fantasy and, and pay off his ADP. So I'm with you. There's still plenty of touches to go around. So I, I'm happy to take a flyer on either one of those guys and just see which one of them emerges in, into that role and perhaps steal some touchdowns and, you know, maybe eight to 10 touches a game. So not to mention that the handcuff appeal there, if something happens to uh, Eckler. So uh, that's, you know, that's, pretty much my list the other guy I mentioned though that's you know it's he's has a a lower ceiling than some of these other guys should they be positioned as a starter but Tariq Cohen you know he is very almost no competition in that uh in that Bears backfield for passing down work right David Montgomery is going to handle most of the carries but Cohen could easily reach 80 catches you know he's been a, a, a had a huge workload and it's really just Montgomery and Cohen in that backfield and by the way his efficiency was really bad last year, and that makes me a little nervous, but it didn't make the Bears nervous because they didn't invest in anyone else. So I think he has a very high floor. Uh, so if I'm waiting a long time in round eight, if I can get a flex option in PPR or a guy that can flirt with RB2 numbers, if not more, then I'm happy to just uh, scoop him up. Well, that's the thing with Cohen that's so interesting is the Bears do target him down the field. He was really unlucky on those receptions last year and in 2018 he was super lucky on them you know had a bunch of 30 plus yard catches had a 70 yard touchdown had some long rushing touchdowns and Cohen is the sort of player you know with his speed and how he you know approaches just running with the football like he's going to open himself up to that variance because you know he's not really trying to break tackles he's trying to like find 
running lanes. You know, he's trying to find the the home run. And just just with kind of a, a lucky efficiency season, you know, three or four long touchdowns that would have been, you know, 10-yard gains in 2019, like all of a sudden Cohen becomes this huge value just off of like literally like five or six efficient plays. Yeah, no question. And he's, again, he has 71 catches and 79 catches over the past two years, top six in receptions both years. So at the very minimum, the very minimum, you spent a mid-round pick and got a high floor guy to throw into your flex spot sometimes. You know, again, lack some ceiling for sure, but I'm happy to take that in the middle rounds, especially if it's a little bit of a deeper league or, you know, again, I waited at that position. I'm going to throw a ton of darts, and I want a guy to throw in my RB2 spot uh, early on in the season. So there's this trend right now, you know, this conversation about quarterbacks that that this year is actually a year to draft a, a mid-round quarterback. Kyler Murray, Dak Prescott. Deshaun Watson, Josh Allen, Russell Wilson, because these are the guys who run. And what what we've had in the past is we've had run-heavy quarterbacks who were not adding passing efficiency, you know, not adding 30-plus touchdowns passing. And now we have that. You know, Kyler is going to throw a bunch of times and run. Dak is going to add, you know, his, his, let's say, you know, 45, 50 fantasy points with his legs, but also play in a super efficient passing offense. Same for Deshaun Watson, same for Russell Wilson. And that's kind of led to mid-round QB being a more popular strategy than straight-up late-round quarterback. And I'm wondering if you have a particular guy who you feel is a actually a strong late-round quarterback breakout, you know, who could finish top five, top six at the position. For me, the the one name is Daniel Jones, but obviously he has just such a wide range of outcomes because, uh, well, you know, he just, he's like not very good in terms of efficiency and turnovers. Yeah, he, he definitely wasn't last year, but I like his kind of, you know, that YOLO attitude from a quarterback. Yes. Not to mention, by the way, that he was in and out of the lineup, right? He didn't start right away, then he had an injury. And the other thing, too, is that uh, if you look at Saquon, and, and this doesn't even include Jones, so let's just say Saquon Barkley. The three receivers, Shepard, Slayton, and Kate, and Evan Ingram, they played zero games together last season, and yet the Giants were just outside the top ten in touchdowns per game. I mean, now they're all going to be healthy, you know, hopefully for their sake, and you're going to have Jones as the starter for the first time. He's entering his second season. He had some value with his legs. Definitely, he's, he's on the top of, top of the list. But, again, he seems a little – I think a lot of people would pick him, right? He's kind of the popular name right now, but – um, it's kind of interesting. A lot of the guys I picked have been kind of seasoned veterans who I think are undervalued. Like Tom Brady is the guy I'm getting in like every draft. I have him seventh on my board. He's going to the 11th round. So, uh, you know, that, that's kind of been one of my top targets. But if I'm going deeper, like if I'm going to go very late round, like I wait forever, I'm going to just throw a, I'm going to throw a Hail Mary at somebody. Uh, how about Gardner Minshew? You know, I, again, speaking of someone who struggle with efficiency as a rookie, but I mean, he's going to be the starter for Jacksonville. Their defense is really bad. They're going to have to throw it a lot. And he has a lot of value with his legs. You know, he appeared in 14 games. He had 67 carries for 344 yards. That was fifth most in rushing yards. And also, again, I kind of discovered this. I knew you wanted to talk about uh, some quarterback flyers. So I was looking at his numbers a little bit. Gardner Minshew Overall, not, not just including the weeks he played, for the whole season, he led the NFL in scrambles. He had 50 scrambles last year. That was most in the entire league. So um, could he take a second-year leap? You know, is his supporting cast going to be a little better? You have DJ Chark there. Obviously, they added Chenault in round two to help out as a playmaker. Tyler Eifert actually stayed healthy last season. They had him at tight end. And, again, the defense is so bad, especially if they trade uh, Yannick. They're going to have uh, some serious problems on that side of the ball. So, you know, again, we're talking late flyer you know maybe he comes out of nowhere and explodes onto the scene this year but I think Minshew's an interesting one yeah I I like Minshew a lot especially because his stacking options you know Shark obviously is this super high ceiling player but there are you know Chenault and uh you know all of the tight ends D.D. Westbrook like these guys are straight up free you can you know basically outside of DJ Shark you can get whoever you want as one of your your last picks before you take kickers and defenses which leads us to our our last little topic here our favorite uh, quarterback wide receiver stacks you know at their cost in large field tournaments like the ffpc main event like the uh, the scott fishbowl you know these leagues that are really going to value the correlation of those uh you know of the quarterback and the wide receiver 
Yeah, absolutely. And I did touch on a few of these, so I'll keep them quiet or, or keep them tight here, but I have four that kind of jumped into my head. So uh, if I take Mike Evans or Chris Godwin early on, which is always a possibility, especially Evans, who's been falling a little bit, uh, I'm happy to get Tom Brady, who I just mentioned. The Brady-Evans stack or Brady-Godwin stack, I think is fantastic in this Bruce Arians offense. I mean, we know Brady's going to go vertical more often, right? It's just a, it's been a decade plus uh, characteristic of Arians offense. I don't think that's changing this year when it hasn't changed in what four different cities, uh, you know, Pittsburgh, Arizona, Indy, and now uh, Tampa Bay. So I expect that to be the uh, uh, popular one that I have, not to mention you can get Keyshawn Vaughn or Ronald Jones pretty cheap to throw in there and Rob Gronkowski's going in the 10th round. So you could do a lot of damage shockingly with this Buccaneers offense. Uh, Denver, Drew Locke, I almost mentioned him as a, a breakout late flyer. I have him as my extremely, extremely, let me, let me make sure I make this clear. Extremely deep sleeper at the M for an NFL MVP, Drew Locke in Denver. That defense, I think, is going to be really good. If the Broncos go 12-4 and four or something behind that defense and Locke uh, takes a big step forward in his second season, who knows? You know, he could be in that conversation. So he's a, a very deep sleeper there. But Curl and Sutton's undervalued. We talked about Noah Fant. I like that trio. Um, we just talked about the Giants, obviously, Daniel Jones. Uh, and any of their receivers, they're all they're all pretty cheap, especially Shepard yeah. and Golden Tate. Not to mention Evan Ingram's a possibility there. And I'll give you one more quick: uh, Carson Wentz uh, with Zach Ertz, who's undervalued, and Deshaun Jackson, who's one of my late flyers this season. You could again, that Eagles offense is very undervalued. You could do a lot of damage there as well. So that's those are the kind of ones I'm looking at. There we go. Everyone, Mike Clay, at Mike Clay NFL, ESPN.com, ESPN Plus. You can find all his stuff. Mike, thank you for joining the show, man. Yep, anytime. Take care. Ever wondered how a book gets made into a movie? Or how to master the art of cooking? Either way, we've got you covered with the Two Guys from Hollywood podcast. I'm Alan Nevins, a literary agent and talent manager. And I'm Joey Santos, a columnist and celebrity chef. On our podcast, we're going to be serving you a fresh perspective of the entertainment industry alongside our favorite celebrity guests. As we like to say, we don't dish, we serve. Listen and follow Two Guys from Hollywood on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll talk at you soon. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. 